You're listening to the G-Force Podcast, presented by Burke Brokerage Real Estate. Hi, this is Gigi Burke with Burke Brokerage, here with Debbie Lewis. Our guest today is Mimi Denis with Eustace Mortgage. Mimi has helped us with many of our loans, and we've always had a smooth transaction. She's been in the business for 16 years. We thought we would ask you some questions today. Thank you for coming out, Mimi. Thank you for having me. Um, One of them would be, why would you go with an adjustable rate for only three or five years, an arm, rather than locking in for 30 years at this point when interest rates are so low? Well, people will go with an adjustable rate when they know for sure they're going to sell their house or move for a job. For an example is a resident who knows after their residency they're going to be placed somewhere else for a job. If they're not sure if they're going to move or not or keep the house for longer than the five years or the three years, then I always recommend doing a 30-year fix because it's not worth the risk for one to two hundred dollars a month savings, sometimes more. So it just depends what their situation is. And how does the arm increase after five years? Is it all at once or do do you go to the, the rate at that point in time? Well, every arm is a different program, but depending on the program that you choose, there's only a certain amount of points that the arm can increase each year, and an arm has a lifetime cap. So say the lifetime cap is 5% and your arm is at 35 then your rate cannot go over 8.5%. So it's okay. a gradual increase. Yes. So they start to panic when the rates start to go up, I'm sure, with these arms, and then they go to permanent financing if they're going to stay longer than they thought. Yes, they do. And sometimes I have people refinancing when the rates are low to get their rate at a low 30-year fixed interest rate if things have changed and they decide to stay in their house for over three, five, seven years. And then I have another question. Does anyone pay points anymore with the interest rates so low? And why would you pay points? Sure they do. I always give my clients an option of whether to pay a point or not to pay a point. A point is typically tied to the interest rate. So I give them a scenario. Here's your interest rate with no points. And here's your payment. Here's your interest rate with a point. And here's your payment, and their payment's lower. So I let them know how many months it'll take to make up the cost of the point. So for instance, I'll say, okay, well, it'll take you 38 months to make up this point. Do you want to buy it down? And mm-hmm. a point is based on what? It's it's 1%? It's 1% times the loan amount. Okay. okay. So if the loan amount changes, the point so value three hundred thousand dollar loan it would be three thousand yes. for a point so you'd pay three thousand up front to buy down basically the interest rate correct so you and add up how much that costs and how long it's going to help before you recover that money yes and okay. sometimes it's not worth it and mm-hmm. they say no i don't want any points i'd rather a little bit higher of our interest rate Okay, so it makes them comfortable with their monthly payments by putting more money up front. Yes, it depends what your goals are. If your goals are to come up with the least amount of money at closing, then people usually don't pay the points. But if they're very payment sensitive, then they want to buy down the rate and have a lower monthly payment. Gotcha. So I want to ask a quick question about um, conventional 
30-year loans. And maybe also explaining to our, our listeners why sometimes um, either making an additional payment a year or paying biweekly helps them, or why you would maybe consider a 15-year mortgage over a 30-year mortgage. Well, if you can afford the monthly payment on a 15-year mortgage, it's definitely worth it to cut your mortgage in half and the rates get lower on a 15-year mortgage than they are on a 30-year mortgage. But typically, people that I work with end up doing the 30 years so they have the control of their monthly payment and can choose whether to knock down the principal one month rather than another month. Yeah, a lot of our borrowers go ahead and make, when they get a bonus or extra money, they go ahead and make one payment extra per year, and it almost cuts it in half. Isn't that about right? Yes. And some borrowers, when they have a big bonus come through, like a quarterly bonus, or they end up selling a property that wasn't sold by the time we did the loan, they will make a big principal payment and we'll recast the loan for them. So they can have their same interest rate, and we recast the loan based on the new balance, and then they'll have a lower monthly payment. Oh, that's really interesting. Is there a cost for that? It's around $100 to $200. That's great. There's all these new programs that pop up that we really have to be on our toes to to know because that really does, that would be a very helpful instrument to use. Well, now that, you know, as everybody knows, interest rates have, you know, been dropping, you know, I know they're fluctuating now, but have dropped pretty much, pretty consistently over the last year. What would be a good indicator for someone with an existing loan to refinance? Typically about three quarters to a point percent lower in rate, or if they have mortgage insurance on their payment and they want to remove it, because on an FHA loan, mortgage insurance will not come off unless you refinance it. Another indication to refinance is if you want to get some cash out to do improvements, sometimes paying off debt. Your debt on credit cards are you know, they can go up to like 15% interest rate, Mm -hmm. you refinance it and pay it off. And it's tax deductible because your interest is deductible on your mortgage and you have a lower rate. So Mimi, tell me the difference between pre-qualification and pre-approval, because we get these letters for borrowers all the time and they read very differently. So can you let our listeners know, um, how important it is, how that letter reads. I get this question a lot, and I feel like every lender has their own terms for pre-qualification and pre-approval. Pre-qualification is really, we've seen the credit, and we've received information verbally, and it seems like that they're going to be qualified for this mortgage. Pre-approval is when you've seen the documentation. So as a listing agent, When you get a letter from a loan officer, you want it to say that they have reviewed the documentation, they have reviewed the assets and the credit. You don't want the letter to just read based on the information. You want it based on the documentation. And what documentation is it that you're looking at to verify? Is it pay stubs? Is it tax returns? What documentation generally do you use to make that to meet that criteria of pre-approval? Well, if they're not self-employed, then you look at pay stubs and W-2s. 
And but if they are self-employed, you want to see the tax returns because they can say they make something, but typically you have to take what they write off on their tax returns and use the net income. So self-employed borrowers, I will not write a letter saying I've seen documentation unless I've seen the full tax return and all schedules. So Mimi, tell us what in-house underwriting is and whether or not y'all do that at Eustace. So in-house underwriting is when your underwriter reviews the file and approves your loan in-house. You don't have to send it off to an investor to be approved or pre-approved. You send it to your in-house underwriter. Some institutions have their underwriters in different cities. Me personally, I like it that my underwriter's in my office because if she doesn't answer the email, then I can go knock on her door and we can sit down and discuss different strategies of how to help our borrower get approved. We all are working towards the same goal together and we want to do what's best for the borrower. And it's nice because the underwriter helps me figure out ways that we can use their income, especially with these self-employed borrowers, to help them get approved for the house. Mm -hmm. So you have very little surprises. You know from the front, from the beginning, whether or not it's going to close. Well, yes. We have upfront underwriting. So immediately before we order an appraisal, before we do anything, we order verification of employments. So there's no surprises there. And we send it to our underwriter and she tells us what we need. So that way we'll know what we need up front rather than later on after the appraisal's ordered and she says, oh wait, we need this item and this item, but we've already gotten that because she's told us that in the beginning. But I mean, there are times where things change after the documentation you received. You, you, You ask for a bank statement and that's what you need, but then you see this huge deposit, so we do need some more documentation on the deposit at times. It, but typically we have everything up front in the beginning. What are the things that a borrower should avoid doing while they're in the loan process? Um, you know, they've been through the, you know, you've got them through the beginning of underwriting and you've verified things, but all of a sudden they decide, oh, um, I'm going to start buying furniture for my new house. Or, um, you know, we're, we're expecting a baby. Let's go buy a new car. Like, what are the things that a buyer should avoid doing throughout the process to make sure things run smoothly? Well, I tell my borrower not to go charge on their credit cards or buy huge purchases. Every borrower is different. You have to look at each individual file. Some borrowers, it's, you know, you sneeze and this could hurt your approval. So you've really got to be conscious of not spending any money on credit cards or purchasing furniture. Some, they'll ask me, well, can I, I really need a car. Can I get a car? And I can look at their file and we discuss what the payment is and they go and they get a car and they don't go over this payment. So it's, you have to pull a soft pull credit report 10 days before you close. And this tells us if any of the payments have gone up significantly. And so if they have, we have to get documentation on it. Or if they have and you still qualify, then we don't need to do anything. But when you have a borrower that their debt to income ratio is 
right at the line. You really need to educate them on not spending any money and charging on their credit cards. So I have a question. If you get pre-approved, how long does that last? If you have all this documentation that you give because you know you're going to buy a house and you want to have a strong offer with a pre-approval, how do you keep that up to date? How long Mm -hmm. does it last? Well, we need usually the most recent 30-day bank statements and 30-day pay stubs. And your credit report lasts 120 days. Mimi, we just wanted to thank you for coming by today and sharing um, some really valuable information, for always being available to answer our calls and being one of the lenders we are very comfortable referring our clients to. Thank you, Gigi and Debbie, for having me here. And thank you for being loyal to me all these years. Uh, I thoroughly enjoy your professionalism and working with you. And I I love how you treat your clients and It's how I treat them, and so I think we work well together. Agreed. Thanks so much, Mimi. Thanks, Mimi. Thank you for listening to the G-Force podcast presented by Burke Brokerage Real Estate. Please subscribe and stay tuned for more episodes, and visit us online at gforcebygg.com.